Welcome to Dairy Intelligent, a podcast by VES Artex, a turntide company. Together, we will meet dairy industry intellects and passionate dairy producers to discuss all things cows and connected technologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of VES Artex's podcast, Dairy Intelligent. I'm your host, Annie, and today I'm joined by Dr. Paula Fricke, Professor and Extension Specialist of Dairy Cattle Reproduction at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thanks for being with us today, Dr. Fricke. Why don't you introduce yourself and give us some of your background? Yeah, Annie, thanks again for having me on the, the podcast. Uh, I'll start with the beginning. Uh, probably the, the biggest credential I use when I talk to dairy farmers is that I grew up on a dairy farm. I grew up on a on a farm uh, in eastern Nebraska. My dad farmed with my grandfather and my uncle, and we milked about 50 Holsteins, and then they farmed uh, corn and soybeans. And so my dad and my uncle are still farming. The cows left back in the 1980s. Um, I ended up going to the University of Nebraska for my bachelor's degree in animal science. After that, I went to North Dakota State University for my master's and my coursework for my PhD. I went to the uh, USDA Meat Animal Research Center in Clay Center, Nebraska for uh, several of the studies I did on my PhD. And then in 1995, I came to Wisconsin and specifically to work with Dr. Milo Wiltbank. So I did a postdoc with, with Milo. And it just happens that 1995 was the year that the first uh, publication on Obsync was was uh, published. So after uh, during my postdoc, then I uh, it was 1998 that I took my faculty position. My position at Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin is uh, technically 70% extension, 30% research in dairy cattle reproduction. So today we are going to discuss how to optimize use of sex semen in dairy herds, a topic that is indeed very timely right now. So let's start at the beginning. Pregnancy rates have increased dramatically over the last 20 years. What was the average preg rate then compared to now? Yeah, that's a great place to start, Annie. And what I do during my presentations is I put people in a time machine and I take them back in time. Uh, because uh, a lot of people don't remember how bad reproduction actually was. So if you go back to about 1998, average pregnancy rate, and this was some data from the University of Minnesota looking at a large a large group of dairies in Minnesota, average pregnancy rate was 14%. And so that was a function of the um, service rate. Uh, which was somewhere in the 30, 35% range and conception rate, again, in the mid mid 30% range. So reproduction was not very good. We had a lot of problems getting getting cows pregnant. Um, and then I think you asked as well, if you, if you look at the change over time, I gave a talk at the uh, ADSAD Discover Conference earlier this year, and that was kind of the crux of my presentation is to kind of look back and see how things have changed. A lot of things affect 21-day pregnancy rate, and one of the things that affects that is farm size. And uh, if you look like at the top 10% of, uh, of, of Holstein herds, uh, from 2012, average pregnancy rate was 20%. By 2020, it was 30%. So that's 10 percentage points on pregnancy rate. That's, that's quite a bit. I talked to people. Uh, I was just at World Dairy Expo uh, here in Madison a few weeks ago, and I had three different farms that I know that, that had chat with me and they all mentioned that they were pushing 40% 21 day pregnancy rate. And those are, those are phenomenal pregnancy rates. Those are pregnancy rates that 
you know, 20 years ago, I think theoretically we thought that might not be achievable just because there was such a limitation to conception rate uh, and service rate as well. So what are some of the fertility programs and strategies that aid in the increase in pregnancy rates? Yes. So I usually explain that I think that there are a, a couple things happened uh, over time to really improve these pregnancy rates. And the first thing that happened was in 1995. And so let, let's first talk about the 21-day pregnancy rate and what drives it. So it's the service rate, the rate at which we can put semen into cows or breed them, and then the conception rate, which is the rate at which the cows that we actually breed get pregnant. And so the first big improvement in pregnancy rates came on the service side, service rate side. And so the development of the OBSYNC protocol in 1995, OBSYNC uh, was a tool to be able to put semen into cows. And that alone had a tremendous impact on 21-day pregnancy rates, just giving farmers a tool to be able to aggressively put semen into cows, which is the first step, of course, to getting cows pregnant. In more recent times, we've had a new technology, the um, heat detection systems. Many people have bought these systems now, and they do help with service rate as well. They can catch cows in heat. Um, they're, they're watching 24 hours a day. So we've had a couple really nice technologies to do that. On, this, on the conception rate side, OBSYNC over about a 20-year period was basically turned into a fertility program where it not only was a tool to be able to put semen into cows, but we could also get better fertility. And that's the result of what I call fertility programs. And a, and a classic example of that is a double OBSYNC program. We find that we can get about 10 percentage points higher conception rates if you put a cow on a, on a double OBSYNC program compared to breeding air to estrus. So we get a lot of improvement in conception rate there. And then there's this other phenomenon that kind of took over once we started really working on reproduction and having these tools available, we call it the high fertility cycle. And that is where it's just the concept that if you get cows pregnant in a timely manner at the end of the voluntary waiting period, then they, um, they're gonna calve at a lower body condition score and they'll have less body condition score loss post calving which results in healthier cows, higher fertility, and then they don't spend too much time in late lactation gaining a lot of body condition. So they calve at a lower body condition score. And that's kind of the cycle. And once you get a farm into the high fertility cycle, that is a big driver of uh, reproductive performance. In fact, we've done some studies where we've looked at cows. And if you just look in the first 21 days post calving, cows that are losing body condition score have much lower fertility than cows that maintain our body condition score. And again, that's kind of a function of uh, what body condition score they calve at and whether or not they're, they're losing. So those are really kind of the fundamentals. It's, it's been a lot of fun to work in this area. It's been fun to see what's happened over about the last 20-year uh, period of time. It's a very exciting time to be involved with uh, dairy cattle reproduction. Absolutely. So you had mentioned some tools for heat detection. Are there any other technologies that have been developed that have helped increase reproduction rates? Yeah, I mean, I think the tools, uh, the, the automated activity monitoring systems, obviously are a tool that are out there. There's a number of different companies that are selling, selling those uh, units. Now, those tools can also not only look at heat detection, but they do rumination monitoring as well. And so it's really transformed the way people manage transition uh, cows. Um, and then I think the other major tools are the, are the synchronization programs and the, you know, the development of OVSYNC, 
the original offsing program from 1995 really into what we're calling these fertility programs or more complicated protocols with more treatments involved, like say a double offsing protocol. But those are really the, I think the two technologies that have really uh, improved repro. Now, I have to say also during this 20 year period of time, farmers have gotten better at a lot of things. So transition cow management, I think our facilities are better, for example. Um, there, there's lots of other things that have, have happened uh, during the industry at those times. And, and I won't leave out genetics either. We, we have the ability now with the genomic revolution to select for more fertile cows. And, and that's always a good thing to do. So it's a whole bunch of technologies together that have really resulted in this. Absolutely. Um, I think that was some really, really good background and explanations. Thank you. Um, so now I want to dive a little bit more into the topic um, that we're talking about, um, which is sex semen. So how did the sexing of semen first start and what are the methods used today? Okay, so this, this is a bit of a history lesson. The first publication on sexing bovine sperm was back in the early 1980s. And that was called the Beltsville method. It was developed in Beltsville, Maryland at the USDA. And basically you can separate sperm based on DNA content. So an X-bearing sperm that's going to result in a female calf has about 4% more DNA than a Y-bearing sperm. The Y chromosome is smaller. And so the process is such that you expose the sperm to a dye that binds uh, in relation to the amount of DNA. And then the machine itself is called a flow-activated cell sorter. So the, the sperm are basically put through a nozzle. They are act the, the, the dye that is bound to the DNA is activated by a laser. And then within a droplet, um, you charge that droplet and you can basically run it through magnets and separate it as X-bearing and Y-bearing. So that's kind of the background on the technology and when it, when it all started. There's been lots of refinements to that technology as, as time has gone on, but that's one of the more popular ways to, to sort sperm. So as we've been discussing, we've been able to dramatically increase pregnancy rates, which is a great achievement. Um, also, with the, the much more um, increased use of sex semen, there's more heifers. So this seems like it's all positive news. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. So that's kind of a leading question, right, Annie? I think what we saw is this dramatic rise in 21-day pregnancy rates. And so in the industry where we're used to being able to only produce enough heifers to kind of keep up with uh, culling rates and turnover rates, it, for example, in Wisconsin ran about 42% for many, many years. All of a sudden we were able to produce more heifers than we needed. And initially what started happening was people, the mindset was we have to keep all of our heifers. We have to raise all of our heifers. And uh, so uh, the, the culling rate is basically determined by the, uh, the number of available replacements. And so as the available replacements went up, and because we had such high heifer inventories, heifers became less valuable than it cost to raise them. And so initially what we saw is herd turnover rates really increasing, culling rates going up into the 45, even 50% range. And that wasn't sustainable. And so what happened then is people very quickly, and this has happened in about the last seven years concurrent with these big increases in 21-day pregnancy rate, uh, what people have done is they've implemented uh, use of different semen type strategies using sex semen as well as beef semen. 
and heifer inventory management kind of is a really new paradigm to uh, to manage reproduction in these herds. So I do want to um, dive into that a little further. So as we've had more heifers, how have farms began to use sexed, um, conventional semen, as well as beef semen in their herds? Yeah, so we went back, my grad student, Megan Lauber, my PhD student, went to, we went to AgSource. Basically, 2006 was the first year that uh, uh, sex semen was widely available in the market. And if you look across time from 2006 to about 2020, initially when sex semen started, there was about 8 or 10% of Holstein females were inseminated with sex semen. And that was pretty constant up to about 2016. And then in the last few years from 2016 on, we just saw an incremental increase in the amount of sex semen being used. And I think that's that heifer inventory management. People started to say, well, you know, we've got genomics now. We've got this other revolution. I like to talk about the reproduction revolution in, in pregnancy rates. But there was also a genomics revolution where we, now we can genomically test. We know which are our best females. So uh, and then, you know, so you're going to use you don't need all the females you can produce. So you're going to use sex semen on your best females. And then you have all these other cows that you really don't want a replacement or need a replacement out of. And that's where the beef semen comes in. And so by 2020, we were seeing, you know, 21% of Holstein females inseminated with sex semen, about 27% of Holstein females with beef, the rest with conventional. That's, that's overall, that's in a big, big data set. Many, many farms now are, are no longer using any conventional semen. We're working with plenty of farms that are just using sex and, uh, beef semen to manage their reproduction now. So what advancements in semen sexing technology have allowed for similar fertility of sex semen to conventional semen? Or is that even the case? Yeah, so that's a good question. I push back on that concept a little bit. And I think there's some misunderstanding that happens out there. If you just go into your herd management software and look and compare conception rates based on semen type, a lot of times what farms will see is that sex semen has a similar conception rate to either beef or conventional semen. The problem with that is you're not taking into account which animals you're using sex semen on. And anytime we do, and I know a lot of people's eyes rolls back in their head when I say a randomized controlled experiment, right? If you, if you flip a coin and say, this animal's gonna get sex semen and flip a coin again and say, this animal's gonna get uh, conventional semen, there's always a reduction in fertility, and it has to do with the, with what you do with these sperm to to sort them. And so, generally, the and there's been several large studies in heifers, both in heifers and lactating dairy cows, quite recently, using the latest semen technology, and we get about 85 percent of the fertility of of uh, conventional semen with sex semen, and so. What my argument to you, Annie, would be that a lot of farms that will argue that, well, we don't see a reduction in fertility, they're using a lot of that sex semen on younger animals at earlier services. So Megan has a really nice data set from DRMS, and it, it's a very large data set, 9 million uh, inseminations. And that's the pattern that we see. Farmers are using sex semen in more fertile younger animals and the higher conception rate earlier services. And so uh, obviously they're going to do that because sex semen, there's a premium for sex semen and they want to get the biggest bang for their buck with sex semen. Thank you for that explanation. So sex semen is obviously more expensive than conventional semen. How do you recommend dairies maximize its use? What we see is farmers using sex semen in their most fertile 
fertile animals at the most fertile breedings. So that's younger animals and earlier breedings, usually first and second insemination. By contrast, beef semen is used in older animals at later services, okay? Um, the other thing that we've been looking at as far as maximizing use of sex semen, and my PhD student, Megan Lauber, we have a, a USDA grant, uh, and the whole theme of the grant is to try to optimize uh, fertility with sex semen. We can combine sex semen with some of these other technologies. For example, I mentioned before, fertility program like double offsync. And we did a, we've done a study in, in Jersey cows, lactating Jersey cows. If you put these cows on a double offsync protocol and use sex semen, you're going to get about 10% more conception rate, 10 percentage points more conception rate coming off of a double offsync program as compared to breeding those cows to estrus. So obviously, improvements in fertility can happen by combining these technologies like sex semen with with a double offsync protocol. In heifers, uh, we combined sex semen with a five-day cedar sink program and a timed AI. And we actually got higher fertility compared to just breeding them to estrus after a prostaglandin, and about seven percentage points higher fertility in non-lactating heifers. But the other thing about the non-lactating heifers is by forcing the issue with the timed AI, you decrease days on feed because you decrease days to pregnancy. And days on feed is a bit of a hidden cost, but raising heifers is all about, um, you know, optimizing days on feed or reducing it. And Megan did a very nice kind of uh, partial budget analysis and showed that the amount of dollars saved in feed more than pays for the synchronization program. And you're, you're about $17 ahead per pregnancy using sex semen in a time day I system in, in heifers as compared to just waiting for them to come into estrus. Wow, that's definitely very interesting, especially when you're able to look at those, the dollars saved, um, even though it does maybe seem like a larger upfront cost. So what do you think the future of sex semen on dairies looks like? Our data, so so the data I mentioned before that uh, Megan had looked at with uh, DRMS, a very large data set, we have, we have numbers across years. So basically 2019, 2020, and 2021. And if you look at the trend, there's a significant increase in sex semen with time, and there's also a concurrent increase in beef semen use over time. So we're not at what I would call steady state yet, right? I mean, farmers are still adopting these technologies. I think we're still early on. Some, have, some are further along than others are. The other really interesting thing we found, Annie, which, which is curious to us, we don't know the answer to this, but there's a very strong herd size relationship with use of sexed and beef semen. Smaller herds are not using as much sexed and beef semen as larger herds. And we think that maybe for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, larger herds have better fertility, so it's easier to use these technologies, but also there's economies and scale and those kinds of things. But as smaller farms start to um, use these technologies, I think we're going to continue to see uh, the use of sex semen and beef semen increase across time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So we're now at the end of our conversation. Um, but before we wrap things up, um, I just have one last question. Um, wondering, what does an animal-centered environment mean to you? Yeah, it's a good question. An animal-centered environment, I think, is one where the the primary thing that we're looking to do is maximize the health and well-being of our animals. 
And obviously we want to do that. Um, you know, we want to take care of our animals and do the best for them so that they're productive and, uh, and healthy and happy. One of the things I'll mention, I get asked quite a bit about, uh, you know, synchronization technologies. I don't think we talk enough about the benefits that some of these technologies have for cows. And really it goes back to what I talked about with the high fertility cycle. And that is that if we can get cows pregnant in a timely fashion, and that's what these tools help us to do, then these cows are actually healthier. They get pregnant better and have better fertility and they stay in the herd longer. And I think, you know, so we're, we're moving along with nice technologies to improve reproduction, I think, which has a positive effect on uh, the animal-centered environment on dairies. Thank you for your unique perspectives. And thank you again, Dr. Fricky, for your time and insights. I think we all learned more about how we can ensure that we are utilizing sex semen effectively on our dairies. So thank you everyone for listening in and we will talk to you in our next episode. Thank you for joining us for another Dairy Intelligent episode. We hope you have found some suggestions to improve cow comfort on your farm or simply just learn something new. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and let your friends know about us. We would love to have them listen and learn.